He's a very wealthy man, the greatest man in the East, the Bible says, the most influential man. And if you read the book of Job and study the book of Job, Job was generous with his wealth and influence. He literally took orphans into his home and reared them as his own. He was very kind. People wouldn't go to war without talking to Job first. He was well-respected. He was wise. He was, he was God-fearing. The Bible said he feared God. He eschewed evil. He sacrificed every day. He prayed for his children. He said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of my children is sinned against God. And he'd sacrifice on their behalf, prayed a hedge of protection around him because Satan himself uh, 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 referenced the hedge of protection around Job's family. And Job was a praying man, a God-fearing man. He hated and avoided evil. But yet God set him up as an example for all of us. And here we are all these thousands of years. And as far as the time of writing the books of the Bible, uh, our understanding is this is the very, and it doesn't deal with the, you know, the, the events that they're oldest, that are the oldest. Obviously in the beginning, God created them, they're the oldest events. But as far as the time of its writing, Job's the oldest book in the Bible. And so we go back many, many centuries, and here we are tonight still learning from Job. His business enterprise is gone. His children killed. Then God allowed the enemy to touch his health. His health is devastated. I'll show you the details of that here in just a little bit. His health devastated. And then finally, betrayal by his own wife. I don't think she's unfaithful to him, but the Bible doesn't give any indication of that. But she did. She she turned on him. She said, "I have enough. I'm not. I can't. I can't follow God like this. Won't you curse God? I think she did curse God, and she wanted him to do the same. Except he, he said, "I can't do that. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him." And uh, they got back together at the end of the book, and that's a sweet thing, isn't it? But I want you to see, here are these men. There's three principal men here, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And the Bible says they came to see Job, and when they first came, they did the right thing. They came and they sat down for seven days, and they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. And that would have been good and well, and it would have really been a great help to Job just to know somebody was there to hurt with him. But then they made the mistake, and they opened their mouth. And they opened their mouth. And boy, you talk about, I know Job was frustrated. I get frustrated just reading what these guys had to say to Job. I want to jump inside the book of Job and defend him. <laughs> but I want to show you, so let's start this. I'll tell you what hurting, what hurting people don't need. Look at the text again in chapter 12. Job answered all, 11, 11 chapters so far, and a good nine of them, are, or eight or nine of them are these friends trying to help and and Job listens to him and he says, No doubt ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. <laughs> You're the people. You're the man. You know it all, don't you? Let me tell you what hurting people don't need. They don't need to know it all. They don't need to know it all. They don't need to know it all. Truth is, my dear friend, we don't know why people suffer. And human nature, sometimes we want answers. We want to grasp why something happens. Some, and I think part of that is because we want to be able to, to know for sure that it won't happen to us. We figure out what happened to somebody else and we can avoid it and it won't happen to us. But that's not possible, is it? His ways are above our ways. Past finding out, the Bible said. Hurting people don't need to know it all. I'll tell you something else. Hurting people don't need someone to drone on and 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 on. They don't need that. 
They need a listening ear more than they need somebody just drone on and on and on and on and on. And that's what happened here in these in these chapters. I mean, it's not like the men had a verse or two or something to say. They go for a whole chapter or two chapters at a time telling Job what life is all about and why he's going through what he's going through. Somebody should have tapped on the shoulder and read him Ecclesiastes 5.2, Let thy words be few. Or Matthew 6, 7, it talks about the hypocrites. They think they'll be heard because of their much speaking. Or Psalm 10, 19, he that refraineth his lips is wise. Or Proverbs 17, 27, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. Or James 1, verse 19, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Somebody told me years ago, when it comes to grief and hurting people, your presence, not your words, is needed most. That helped me, especially as a young man, because I didn't know what to say. I, re- I told you this before, but I remember the first time I was with somebody, I uh, was with Wayne Beaver when he died. And Ann called. I was in the office and she called and said, Pastor, come. I think he's getting close. He'd been fighting cancer. And he had gotten saved. His daughter led him to Christ, and that was sweet. She got saved the night Carl Hatch was here, the same night Mr. Cook got saved. And she got saved, and, and uh, she led her daddy to Christ. And, um, he was dying of cancer, and Ann called her, Pastor, will you come? I think he's, he's getting close. And I went and knelt down there, there by the chair. He was in an armchair. I'd never been beside anybody while they were dying before. Never had. And, you you know, I've seen it numbers of times now, just like quite a few of you have as well. But those, especially somebody who's dying of cancer, you know, those breasts seem like an eternal breath. But, you know, somebody breathes, and you think, that's it, that's it, that's it. And, and then... They maybe gasp again or another shallow breath. And then finally you, you keep waiting for another shallow breath and it doesn't come, it doesn't come, and all of a sudden you starts to dawn on you. They're gone. And their steps up or somebody says, they're gone. And um, Wayne breathed his last breath. And we're waiting for that next breath and waiting, and it didn't come, it didn't come. And Ann looked at me, she said, preacher, say something. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I, I suppose I said something. I don't even remember. I, I believe we sang. And that might have been the first thing out of my mouth, just singing. I don't, I don't think singing fix every, fixes everything, but it's a way to express something. And I've sung by a lot of people's bedside as they were dying. It's soothing to the soul, isn't it? There's a land that's fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, but the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet, sweet by and by. We'll meet on that beautiful shore. You know, hurting people don't need somebody just to talk at them. Sometimes we just need to be there, that's all. Just be there. And you don't have anything to say, that's okay. That's all right. Tell you something else hurting people don't need. They don't need arguments. They don't need arguments. And you know we could lump in. Uh, they don't need arguments. They, they need empathy. They need empathy. Look at these fellows. Let's look at it. Look at it, it, it chapter 4. Eliphaz, we assume, is the oldest. And he speaks first. And that would have been customary. And so I think the order is significant. I, I do believe. And all these men later in the, in the book you read, every one of these men was older than Job. Every one of them. All three of them. Uh, and, and if I understand the Bible right, significantly older than Job. But the wise men would say in the book of Ecclesiastes, great men are not always wise. 
Old men are not always. There's such thing as an old fool as well as, as, as a wise man. Amen? The Bible says what, what, what the holy head, the white head, the gray head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of wisdom. But dirty old men have gray hair too. But if it be found in the way of wisdom, the Bible said it's a crown of glory. I mean, Brother Goddard has a head full of white hair. He said, boy, my glory used to be my muscles. He said, eat your hearts out, you young men. And point out his white hair, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, but look, look, at this old, look at this old man. It's a, verse chapter 4, then Eliphaz, the Timonite answered and said, if we essay to commune with thee, wilt thou be grave, grieved if, if, we, if, we, if we dare to speak to you? Uh, Job, would you be upset? But who can withhold himself from speaking? I don't care really. I'm going to talk to you anyway. <laughs> Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thou words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee. Mm-hmm. You've been quick. You give a lot of other people advice, Job. Now it's your turn. And thou faintest, it toucheth thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thou hope, and thy... The uprightness of thy ways. Look what he says. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. This is Eliphaz's argument. If something bad happened to you, then obviously you did something bad. And quite frankly, that's that's... The primary theme of all three of these men, they, they use different language, say it in a little different way, but that's the basic argument of all of them is that you, if, so, if something bad happens to you, it's obviously you did something bad. Now I got news for you. That's not true. That's not biblical. John chapter number nine, the disciples said to the Lord Jesus about the man that was born blind. They looked at him. They made judgment call. They said, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither one of them. This man was born blind that the works of God might be manifest in his life. God said, I allowed this man to be born blind so I could do a miracle today and magnify my power and, and my glory that God would be glorified. Let me tell you something. We don't know why people suffer. We don't know why people suffer. Hurting people don't need answers. Now there might be some answers to be had. But we, they, don't need, they don't need our answers. Our explanations. Our arguments. They need empathy. In Luke chapter 13. Turn over there. I want you to see this. I don't think I've ever preached this passage to you. But I want to show you something. Luke chapter 13. Keep your finger, of course, in Job 4. Luke chapter 13. The Bible said there there were present at that season some that told them of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, this is the only reference to whatever this incident was. Uh, this historian Josephus, who expanded on so many biblical events, is silent on this event. There's nothing about it that we can find in the historical record. Uh, 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 but the, and nowhere else in the Bible is this mentioned. But it says, clearly says, that there were some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So evidently, these folks from Galilee were somewhere, the temple presumably sacrificing, or someplace sacrificing, and Pilate and his men fell upon them. Maybe they had been accused of, uh, maybe they were zealots of some kind and resisting the Roman government and authority, or whatever it was, while they're sacrificing, he came in and slew them evidently, and their blood was mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. 
And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. No, 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 no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God, Jesus observed something. He observed and he fixed their thinking. People were saying, well, they must have been really bad people. God let that happen to them. He said, no, 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 no. You, th- you think they're worse? They're, they're particularly bad because that bad thing happened to them? He goes on and talks about another incident, completely separate incident. In verse number four. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except your pit, you shall all likewise perish. So there's some kind of building project. Uh, one, uh, I was trying to read after a couple of men about this verse, and one suggested it was an aqueduct. I don't know if there's some historicity to that or not. I really don't know. But the Bible didn't tell us. It just said there was a tower in this place called Siloam, and evidently it fell in. And maybe they were building it or whatever happened, or maybe it was old and fell. The Bible didn't tell us, but it fell and 18 people died. And so people were saying, well, it was 18 people. I guess they, they must have done something terrible because something like that happened. Jesus, this is a statement, Jesus dismissed the idea that accidents or human cruelties were God's judgment on particularly bad sinners, nor that miraculous survival is proof of a person's goodness. Yes, God does preserve at times. How many of you have been preserved by God? You have experienced God's divine protection. You've experienced. Okay, yes, God does that. But he says in this verse, he said, the truth is this. The important thing is, everybody needs to repent. <laughs> Except you repent, you shall all likewise. Everybody, you're all going to die somehow. That's what he's saying. And evidently, folks are having discussions about those Galileans. They must have been real bad people because they had a horrible death. They got slaughtered right there on there while they're sacrificing. And those folks must have been bad people up in that tower. The tower fell down. They all died. Jesus said, nonsense. No. He said, listen, the bottom line is this. We're all going to die. You just make sure you're ready to die. And he dispels this notion that somehow, if you live right, everything goes good. If you do bad, then everything's going to go bad. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Go back over there with me. Let's look at it. He's, this is the great faith chapter, right? By faith. By faith, uh, uh, the elders obtained a good report. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By, uh, by, through faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. Joseph. Moses. All these folks are mentioned. Get down to verse 31. By faith, uh, Rahab. Then we get to 32. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial trial of cruel mockings. And scourgings. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Tradition says Isaiah was putting a log and sawed in half. 
They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Aren't you glad that you live in Hebrews 11.35a and above, and not in Hebrews 11.35b and beyond? But yet all these people are mentioned as being people of faith. The deliverance or being devoured by the angry lions didn't prove their faith. You understand that? And Bildad, excuse me, Eliphaz makes this, this horrific judgment, argument. I, I don't know if he's trying to, later Job would say, miserable comforters are you all. I, it was a really bad attempt at comforting a broken and a hurting man. Eliphaz wants to argue his point. If something bad happened to you, obviously you you did something bad. He gets over in verse 12, and uh, he said, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof, in thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth on me. You know what he's doing? He gets, he goes, he tells him a dream. I had this dream. God bless your heart. I, that, he don't need to hear about your dream right now. As if he has some special enlightenment. Now, he had a dream, he had a vision in the middle of the night. And he has some special wisdom. Hurting people don't need arguments. And quite frankly, don't need answers always. They need empathy. They need love. Look what, uh, look what Bildad had to say, chapter number 8. Bildad is... Evidently, the second eldest of the two, of the three. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite, said, How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? He's saying, Job, you're full of hot air. Boy, what a friend. Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression. He's, you understand what he's suggesting, right? If thou wouldst seek unto God betimes, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou art pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Here's Bildad's argument. Is God just? Okay, then you're getting what you deserve. Wow, what a great comfort. <laughs> Furthermore, in verse number 4, he says the same is true for your kids. Who ever heard of somebody losing all their kids in one day? God's a just God. Evidently, they deserved it. Job could have gone his whole life without hearing another word from Bildad. Miserable comforter for sure. We get over to chapter 11. Zophar finally speaks up. He starts with ridicule, and ridicule is never helpful. Then answered Zophar the Namathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thy eyes. But oh, that God would speak, and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom. 
they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquities deserve. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto uh, perfection? (laughs) He's saying, Job, truth is you deserve a lot more. You ought to be thankful, God. (laughs) Wow. What a friend we have in Zophar. You know, people don't, they don't need arguments. Hurting people don't need a bunch of answers that we got in a dream somewhere. Eliphaz thought he had all the answers. Look at, if you go back to chapter 5, I'll show you this. Look at the end of chapter 5. This is his, this is his closing argument. (laughs) Oh, he talks for two chapters solid and gets down to the end. Lo, this we have searched it. So it is. Hear it and know thou it for thy good. He said, Job, if you know what's good for you, you'll listen to my brilliant advice. These guys are full of themselves, aren't they? And by the way, if he did, Eliphaz basically said, I got all the answers. If he did, if he had all the answers, then Job would have been a pretty short book. It would have ended right there, chapter 5. But it doesn't end there. He didn't have all the answers. The truth is, his answers were really judgment. Look again at chapter 5, verse 1. This is still Eliphaz. Call now if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints wilt thou turn? For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. I have seen, I have, I have observed, from my observation, the foolish taking root. But suddenly I cursed his habitation. His children are far from safety, and they are crushed in the gate. Neither is there any to deliver them, whose harvest the hungry eateth up and taketh it even out of the thorn. He, like the other knucklehead, suggests that Job's sin is the cause of his children's death and the cause of the loss of his estate. Can I tell you something? Hurting people don't need us to figure out why they're hurting. I don't really need that. Because we don't, we're not always a very good judge. God knows things we don't know. Romans eleven thirty thirty three. 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His decisions, and His ways past finding out. Let me read to you again. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God, his ways are above our ways. Amen. His thoughts are above our thoughts. Hurting people don't need to know it all. They don't need someone to drone on and on. They don't need someone with arguments or someone even with answers. I'll tell you what they do need. Number one, they need somebody to listen. They need somebody to listen. You know, if somebody had listened to Job, evidently they were listening for a break so they could give another answer. But if somebody had really listened to Job, look how low Job was. Chapter 3, verse 11. These are all from the mouth of Job. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? You know what he's saying? 
He's saying this, if my life has to be so painful, why didn't you just let me die, God? Why didn't you just let me die as soon as I was born? You get down to verse number 16. Or as in hidden, untimely birth had I not been. As infants which never saw light. You know what he's saying? Wish I could have been a miscarriage. This man's pretty low, isn't he? We get down to verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? What, 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 wherefore, what, for what reason? And life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not. And dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? He's only saying, he said, why is it that some people who want to live can't live and some people who want to die can't die? Why? Get over to chapter 6. I'm just simply saying, somebody should have been listening to what Job was saying instead of thinking what to tell him. You get over to chapter 6 and you look at verse number 8. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me. I wish God would just let me die. Over chapter 7. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? When is this going to end? That's what he says. When I lie down, verse 4, when I lie down, I say, when shall I rise and the night be gone? And I'm full of tossings to and fro into the dawning of the day. The sleepless nights just drag on and on and on. And I say, when will this long, long night end? Get over to verse 13, chapter 7, verse 13. When I say, my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifies me through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for my days are vain. He said, I all day long I can't wait to get to bed. When I get to bed, I have nightmares and hallucinations and visions. And he says, I, I can't stay awake. I can't sleep. And he says, I would rather die than live in this condition. Verse 19, how long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee? O thou preserver of men, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am burdened to myself? Why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my... How long? What shall I do? Why don't you take this away? Chapter 10. Verse 1. My soul is weary of my life. I'm tired of living. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. Why are you against me, God? Verse number 18. Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Why was, why was I ever born? Oh, that I had given up the ghost and no eye had seen me. 
I should have been as though I had not been. He said, I wish I never existed. Chapter 13, one more here. Two more. Verse 24, chapter 13, verse 24. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? Why why do you hide your face from me? Why do you you treat me like I'm your enemy, God? Chapter 14, verse 13. Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave. That thou wouldst keep me secret until thy wrath be made. I wish God would just put me in the grave. You can continue on through the book. We'll stop right there. But somebody should have been listening to Job. Job didn't need somebody coming up with answers. Job didn't need answers at that point in his life. He didn't need arguments. He didn't need explanations. He just needs somebody to listen. He needs somebody to listen. Hurting people need someone to listen to. The number two, hurting people need somebody to weep with them. Need somebody to weep with them. I remember Dr. Young saying to one of the men describing, we were in school together, and one of the men described the situation with one of his bus riders, and it was really a pitiful situation. And it was one of those things that just couldn't be fixed. And he said, what do, you, how do, I, what do I do? What do I do with a situation like this? And I remember Dr. Young, he said to him, he said, you know, sometimes the only thing you can do for a person is just to weep for them. To weep for them. Jude 24, and some have compassion making a difference. Psalm 12, excuse me, Psalm 142, verse 4. I looked on my right hand. Refuge failed me. No man, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. What does the Bible say in Romans? We're to weep with those who weep. And Jesus saw the multitudes. And he wept on several occasions. At least three occasions in the New Testament. Jesus saw the multitudes, looked on the city. And he wept and he wept. Psalm 126, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Just asking a question, just asking a question. Have you wept in recent days for anyone? Have you shed a tear for anyone? I'm not saying it fixes anything, but I'll tell you something. Let me take that back. It does fix something. It fixes something inside of me. It fixes my callousness and my selfishness and my hard-heartedness. He said, well, I don't, I don't really know. Then talk to people, pay attention, listen, and you'll find plenty to weep over. Number three, hurt for them. Look at chapter six. Look at chapter six. Bildad speaks first in two solid chapters of trying to explain things to Job about why he's not right with God and, and he should... Pay attention to this dream he had and all that nonsense. And then at the end, that sarcastic statement in verse 27 of chapter 5, Bill, that closes, you know, lo, this we have searched it, so it is. I mean, I really thought about this, and this is the way it is, Joe. Hear it, know thou it for thy good. It'll do you good if you'll listen to me. Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. Job didn't need all those explanations. He just needed somebody to hurt with him. He said, I wish you guys could begin to understand the heaviness and the weight that I'm under. Hurting people need somebody to hurt with them. You know, the Bible is very particular about Job's 
physical suffering. Let me show it to you. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils. From the sole of his foot unto his crown, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, his body was covered with sores. And verse number 8 tells us that it was uh, aggravated. Those sores were angry and aggravated, severe itching. Verse 8, he took a potsherd to scrape himself with all and sat down among the ashes. He took ashes, rubbed it in his boils. He took a piece of potter and just scraped at those boils trying to get some relief. And he was tormented from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Can you imagine sitting and trying to straighten a man out that looks that way, that's suffering that way and agonizing that way, and all you can do is try to explain to him how he needs to get right with God? In chapter 7, in verse number 4, we read it a minute ago. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? I'm full of tossings to and fro into the dawning of the day. He couldn't sleep. He'd get no sleep. couldn't rest. You can't, you can't heal if you can't rest. Get in verse number 5, it says, My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. His sores were open, running sores. In chapter 7 and verse 13. We read a minute ago, When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and tearest me through visions. He was hallucinating, having nightmares. When he did finally get to some sleep, he was terrified by, by nightmares and hallucinations. Get over to chapter 17. And we all know what it's like when you're sick. My breath is corrupt. Same thing in... He repeats that in chapter 19 also, verse 17. He says in chapter 21, Even when I remember I'm afraid and trembling take a hold on my flesh. He had chills and fevers, I believe. That's a, a reference. His body would shake. Chapter 30, verse 27, describes diarrhea. That was part of it. My bowels boiled and rested not. The days of affliction prevented me. Chapter 30, verse number 30. My harp also is, excuse me, my skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. His, His skin became discolored from its natural color. These are just the physical manifestations of his suffering. If somebody just looked at Job and listened to Job, then surely they would have begun to hurt with Job. Can I tell you something? You you can't fix what's broken in people's lives. Sometimes you do something to help, but many times you could just hurt with them. And compassion is, great definition, compassion is your pain in my heart. And you know why we don't feel the pain of others? We don't think about them. We don't think about them. 
And I would encourage every Sunday school teacher, I'd encourage every person that ministers to others, we'll take some time. You know, if you took five minutes each week and just put yourself in the place of somebody and just think what it would like to live in a home in that situation. There's some folks suffering physically here. Really suffering. You want to hurt with them? You want to hurt for them? You're going to have to think. Number four, love them. Number four, love them. What do hurting people need? Someone to listen to them. Someone to weep with them. Someone to hurt for them. Someone to love them. Years ago, you've heard all my stories, I guess. But we were still in college. I think we were married at the time. We were brand new married if we were. And a set of parents and came up and our mom, I think it was mom and another bus worker, and said, it's this, this girl... Um, is rebellious and she needs help. And just, you know, here she is. Now, this 15 year old girl was uh, from Guatemala and she had lived with her grandmother all of her life. Her dad lived here in the States, lived in Chicago. And she grew up with her grandmother. She wasn't, she didn't hardly knew her dad. But grandmother died and there was nobody to take care of her. So she got shipped over here to be with her dad, who she barely knew. Well, her dad. Had another, had a family. He had a wife and children. She had a 15-year-old brother she didn't even know about. Had a brother the same age as her. She couldn't speak English. So here she gets shipped. And she, can't, she can't communicate. She doesn't know these people. Well, as you can imagine, uh, uh, her dad's wife didn't even know she existed till she got there. So she moves in the house with her dad, who she doesn't know, and a stepmom who didn't even know she existed. Now you can imagine, you know, the issues that caused. Siblings, she she didn't she didn't know. She was hard. She was hard, and understandably so, and bitter. But anyway, Miss Terry, as we all called her then, just loved that girl. I watched her hug her. She'd put her arm around her, you know, give her a little squeeze. Girl, just stand there, just hard, stiff. And over time, she loosened up, got to where she enjoyed it. One day she hugged her back. She learned to communicate. She often told her how much she loved her. And one day she began to return those I love yous. She had a little sister. Anna got saved. Her brother Walter got saved. Little Esther, just a little teeny little thing. She started riding on the bus too. She eventually got saved. Esther lives over here in Fayetteville Street. She's an old lady. She has a 17-year-old daughter. She showed up Easter Sunday, that little, little Esther, and just came to say thank you for investing in our family. Love makes a difference. Amen. We can't fix everything broken, but we can love people. And then lastly, we can pray for them. You kids come on and sing that for us, would you? Some of the children are going to sing for us. We can listen, we can weep, we can hurt, we can love, and we can pray for hurting people. How many of you know somebody that's hurting tonight? You know somebody that's hurting? We can pray for them, amen? We can pray for them. Somebody help me? Mike, thank you.